0: This podcast is a proud member of the CypherCast network. Discover more at cyphercast.net and follow us on Twitter at CypherCastNet.
1: Welcome to Incantations, an Invisible Sun podcast. I am Scott. And I'm Dave and we will be your guides along the Path of Suns. Today we sing two spells. With the careful gaze of the Grigori, we introduce character attributes in Invisible Sun. And then with A Distant Light Pierces the Mist, we consider Volume 1 of Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol as a source of inspiration. Join us on the Path of Suns, and we may uncover a secret or two.
0: In the careful gaze of the Grigori, we discuss an aspect of the Invisible Sun RPG in detail. We're gonna be talking about a new aspect in Invisible Sun that you know seems to borrow from other systems that Monty Cook Games has done. Scott, can you guess which system that is? Or what part uh, of the system? I, I suspect
1: it, is? it has some similarities to the immediate predecessor in their line. Well, actually both immediate predecessors, the no thank you evil and the cipher system.
0: Yes, Uh, we're going to be talking about the character sentence. And this time around in Invisible Sun, the character sentence that we're going to be using to build our characters, it has a few more parts to it than we've had before. So if you're familiar with the cipher system, you would build your character with three descriptors. You would have a type, a focus, and something else. Uh, Do you remember what that was? Descriptor. Type, focus, and descriptor. I guess I used uh, descriptor in... My lead up to what we actually were talking about. Cool. So those are the things that we used in the cipher system. And this time around with invisible sun, we have some similarities to the various aspects of that character sentence, but we've added something new and the uh, bits and pieces are all slightly different. They're, they're more specific to invisible sun itself. So the sentence that we're going to be using in invisible sun goes a little something like this. I am a blank, blank of the order of blank who blanks. So it's very much like your cipher system sentence. And if we fill those blanks in, we're going to be using foundation, heart, order, and forte. So first up, do we want to talk about those different aspects or do we want some examples here?
1: Well, we, it's worth talking about just the fact that there are four of them. Uh, they're not quite as obvious as in the cipher system. In the cipher system, I, I sometimes will tell people to introduce them that this character sentence is, I'm an adjective noun who verbs. Mm, yep. Um, and it's an easy way to think about constructing the sentence. Um, this version of the game, uh, I wouldn't say it relies up on you having played the cipher system, but it makes you work a little harder to understand how the components fit together. First of all, there's more of them. There's four parts rather than three blanks in the cipher system Mm -hmm. uh, sentence. But also those parts aren't as easily mapped to grammar and to basic understanding of character design as adjective noun who verbs.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the things I would always lead with in one shots that I run for Numenera or the cipher system, which is, hey, uh, if you haven't played this game before, here's a cool little feature this is your character's sentence. And it gives you a very good idea of what your character does and what they're all about. Like you get a real sense of who your character is just from that little sentence.
1: Yeah, Other than type, people have a really good idea just from the, the basic sentence that they can always go back to. I think it might be Darcy Ross who's, who's repeated several times that whenever when she's running the game, she just tells people, if you're not sure what to do, think of your sentence. And then what would your sentence do? And I thought that's really good advice. It's going to be harder to implement an in invisible sun because the sentences are more complex and less foundational in or, or, or less simply related to the way we normally use language. And yep. so when we normally think of an you know, adjective, oh, well, that's going to describe how I do things. And the verb will describe what I do. And the noun is who I am. This is a little more complex than that. So it's, it's going to require a bit more work and assumes more investment on the side of the player.
0: Yeah. And even with just a little bit of passing knowledge about the setting, I think it also sets your character up for how they do function in the world. And just by looking at this, I would say that your order is you know, kind of what defines how you interact with the world of Invisible Sun itself. But why don't we start at the beginning? So
1: that's often a good strategy.
0: Yes. So let's start with the foundation. So I am a foundation and the foundation is going to be, this is going to be the the closest that we have to an adjective. This is your, your current situation, your past, your relationships. This is basically, it seems like it's describing how your character is doing when we start the game. So some of the examples they had were iconoclastic, established, connected, itinerant, and when you make the choice of what your foundation is going to be, from what I've read, there are going to be more choices that you're going to have to go along with it to, to build your character up a little bit more based on that foundation.
1: And I think it's useful to, to connect these back to the adjectives in, and descriptors in, in the cipher system. But I am interested to see how they build in the, the notion of background. Whereas mm-hmm. in the cipher system, the adjective is mostly a personality characteristic, usually. Though it's also where they put race in when they have different racial character options. But here, explicitly tying your background to your situation relationships into the foundation is going to change how it operates and how important it is. And I'm excited to see how that works out.
0: Yeah, it'll it'll be really interesting. So the next one that we have is your heart. And this one is, is very much tied into Invisible Sun. So the heart. It looks like there are four four choices you are going to be making here. Four options you have to choose from. So this is going to be your most basic nature, uh, and you are going to be either a flame heart, a stone heart, a wave heart, or a storm heart. And what that does is it ties you to the sooth deck in some way. And I am just taking a look to see the different summaries of the flame, stone, wave, and storm hearts are. It looks like these might describe, you know, the characteristics of your of your character uh, your personality more than your situation that the foundation did
1: yeah this seems to have some of that role of personality that may have been pushed out of the foundation by background Mm -hmm. Uh, even if the foundation words connected itinerant beloved still have some certainly some psychological content this seems to be where you get more of personality though uh, it's pretty limited if there's only four options for personalities so i think it's not as simple as we're explaining it but we just don't have a lot of information on this right now other than it ties to the sooth deck and that presumably certain hearts will be advantaged or disadvantaged depending upon the draws of the sooth deck
0: yeah so we can infer from this that the the sooth deck has four different suits of a sort and they're tied to these different hearts that you can have so like we can talk about the the flame heart real quick. So if you have a character who is a flame heart, the idea here is that your personality is you're going to be fast in thought and deed. You're going to be quick thinking. You're good on your feet. So it sounds like somebody who you know just sort of flies by the seat of their pants might be a flame heart. And it also sets you up with animals and objects, which I'm not sure how that ties into everything at this point.
1: It's it's pretty vague. And those objects and animals may be represented in the sooth deck, but we're not sure. That's certainly an area we'll learn a lot more about moving forward. But mm-hmm. given that there's only four of these heart options at this point, and since it's tied to elements, it's going to be hard for them to add a lot more than these four. It's good to see that their descriptions for these personality types are are broad enough to allow room for flexibility and definition for each partic- particular character.
0: Yeah, I think I would be a little surprised if they did add more than four, considering they're tied in to this physical component that's, you know, the sooth deck.
1: Right. Adding a fifth may require entirely different sooth deck with different iconography or or different uh, borders, which I think the borders are where we're really going to see this.
0: Okay. Well, that's cool. Up next, we have uh, your character's order. And the order we can we can get into a lot of detail with, but I don't think we're going to at this point. Because the order is going to define your relationship with magic and it's going to, you know, kind of set your place in Invisible Sun. It's how you interact with magic, which is what Invisible Sun seems to be all about. So we've got five orders that we, well, we have five orders. There, there aren't going to be more than five orders that I know of, right? There's no reason to believe there will be more. I didn't think so. So your order is going to be either Maker, Weaver, Goetic, Vance, or Apostate. So this is going to be the organization that you're going to be a part of. And this, these are organizations of the Invisible Church. Is that what it was called?
1: Yeah, I'm not quite clear on what role the church has in the setting and whether and their relationship to the orders, but they're connected in some way.
0: Yeah, it sounded like the Invisible Church might be like the, the collective sum of all the groups possibly excluding the apostates for obvious reasons that would make sense so this this order choice that you make is going to you know put you in one of these groups and this is also going to determine how you you know interact with the magic in the system so if you're advanced you're going to do you know a a little you're going to do a puzzle to put together your magic if you're uh, if you're a maker, you're going to have some sort of little mini game to run through to to build your magic devices up,
1: and that's why I don't expect there to be many more types of of order or options for order, because each mm-hmm. one seems to be kind of a high investment for design, because each <laughs> yeah. is its own sort of mini game, and so it's not just a, a collection of powers or spells; it's actually an entirely different relationship with magic. And that requires a lot more design work than simply a new set of powers would be, say, in a a new focus or a new type for the Cypher system.
0: Yeah, because this thing defines how you're going to interact with magic. And from what we've seen so far, you're going to have something very specific, like physical components that are going to help you express how you're doing magic. So the other thing about the order is that it's going to provide some sort of goal for your character. And from what I recall, the the goal is something like increasing your station in the order that you've chosen. That might be something that you want to do. So it sounds like those are the kinds of goals that you're going to set up with your choice of order. You know, something that interacts with the order itself. But we're not going to get super into orders right now because there's a lot to talk about with orders. So we're going to we're going to leave that for another discussion. So the, the last thing that we have uh, would be your character's forte. So what they say here is that uh, your forte is something that distinguishes you. It's it's something that your character is going to be really good at doing. That basically nobody else is as good as your character at your forte. Uh, or else it is something that you do that is unique from anybody else. So this is the thing that sounds like a focus in the cipher system. So it opens up abilities and in the, in the way they say Uh, These abilities are going to be opened up. It's going to look like a skill tree in some sort of fashion, which sounds different than what we had in the Cypher system. Like the Cypher system was just a list. So you could choose, you know, different abilities based on your tier, but it wasn't a tree that if you made a choice in tier one, it would unlock certain things in tier two.
1: And that may be necessitated by moving away from a tier based level system. That's as true. they said they're doing with Invisible Sun, so that now advancement within the Forte has to have a new system. And a tree makes sense if, you, if advancement happens kind of within Forte and it is not character-wide.
0: Mm-hmm. So this is also going to be something that's going to provide goals for your character. So it sounds like each of these choices is going to give you goals for your character, and these goals are going to you know advance your character uh, in the system. So it doesn't sound like there's traditional, you know, gain experience points and gain levels. You're going to be advancing your character by, you know, achieving these story goals.
1: And I'll go out on a limb and make a a prediction, maybe too strong a word, a guess, something that would be really interesting to see with these different parts of the character. Uh, It'd be interesting to see if character advancement works on each of the components of the sentence. So that one could focus on advancing your forte or advancing your order, but, but you wouldn't be advancing all of them simultaneously. Mm-hmm. So even within an individual party, one person may be uh, focusing on becoming a better goetic or a, a, a better Vance. Another person may be working to advance their forte and become better at fusing nightmare to fist or whatever their forte actually is. Since char- a progression is supposed to be based on character arcs and each of these components, provides goals for your character, it strikes me that one could emphasize one or the other and advance quick more quickly or more slowly along different parts of the sentence Mm -hmm. uh, if one chooses. And that would be a really interesting way to handle character development.
0: Well and, and that sounds like something that they were you know trying to do. Uh that was one of their design goals to say, we want you to find the thing that you find fun and then focus on that. So if you're not interested in climbing the ladder of your order if you're in the makers but you're way more interested in yeah for example fusing nightmare to fist like yeah focus on that don't worry about the order if you don't want to do it like don't worry about it it's it's as important as you want it to be
1: and, and if each has their own goals you just that just helps you guide the story to fit the character's goals for whichever part of their character they they want to emphasize which i think would be a, a, an interesting new approach to character development at least new to me
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting. I'm curious to see, you know, how that shakes out. And I guess when we get to the topic of, hey, character advancement, maybe we'll have more to talk about there.
1: Yeah, the the closest analog I could think of was, I believe it was 4E, Dungeons and Dragons, where with Paragon Paths, one could choose to become basically a more specialized version of your class. Let's say, you know, you could be, instead of being a fighter, you could become a super archer in some way. Or Mm -hmm. you could be an elf who becomes even elfier depending upon which Paragon path you choose. Well, in this case, you have that option with each of possibly, and again, this is speculation. As always, we have our qualifier. We don't know any more than anybody else. Um... But one thing I, I would like to see is the option to really focus on which of these components. If you want to focus on your background, if you want to focus on your your order or your your what you do, your abilities with your forte, you have that option, and then that also helps the the, uh, the GM decide where the story should emphasize and take the characters to facilitate the advancement of the characters along the lines that the players want to take them.
0: Yeah, and that'll be really interesting to figure out how to make that work when I start running this. Like, hey what are all my players interested in? Like what parts of this character that you've created do you want to focus on? And how do we make all of that work together? That'll be an interesting problem to get to. Um, So before we wrap this little talk up, we've got a couple examples that they, they had on the Kickstarter page. So this was in one of the updates. I've lost my link, uh, but I'd just like to, we can drop this in the show notes, Uh, but they had a lot of, uh, well, they had a handful of examples in update thirty on the Kickstarter. So one of the examples is, "Hey, I am an established Stoneheart of the Order of the Vance who walks with strange steps." So established, we've got a, a character who's probably doing pretty well. At least that's what it sounds like. You know, they might have a nice place to live. They might have good connections in the in the city of Saterine. Maybe that's what we're looking at there.
1: Yeah, it could be though. There's also connected <laughs> as a separate uh, foundation. Yeah, but, that's true. Uh, established could mean how long the, they've been in, you know, in Saturnine as opposed and having come back from the Gray. But who knows? It yeah. is something about background though.
0: Yep. Somebody who walks with strange steps. Uh, I think I've got a player who might be interested in that because the, the picture that's painting for me is probably somebody who likes to stick to the shadows and be unobserved. Though that the makes... uh, iconoclast Stormheart of the Order Goetica, who serves as a host, that's a, that's a very interesting forte.
1: Yeah, that seems that serves as a host seems to work well with, with Order of, of Goetica.
0: Yeah, I guess one of the deals with a demon is, uh, hey, why don't you come along and uh, I'll, I'll serve as your personal chauffeur. Yeah,
1: I doubt it's uh, Action Tapeworm there's a old mystery science theater uh, sketch where they had a, an action figure, the first action figure who's actually a host and it was a generic uh, action figure. And the real uh, toy was the tapeworm. And so it was kind of Johnny action tapeworm.
0: That painted a very strange picture, <laughs> but it's that makes more sense now. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, I think uh, that's about, that's about it for uh, the character sentence. Maybe I'm sure we'll, we'll have a lot more to say
1: about question. each of the parts later down the line.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we'll get into uh, the, uh, the order and uh, the individual parts of it eventually. But not this time around.
1: With a distant light pierces the mist, we consider potential inspirations for Invisible Sun games. This week, we talk about the first volume of Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol comic from 1989. This is one of the inspirations that was actually mentioned in the launch discussion at Gen Con. Uh, It happens to be one of my favorite runs of comic books. So I thought this would be a great place to start. It might be useful to rewind a little bit and talk about the origins of Doom Patrol itself. Because this is a comic that actually has quite a long history. Doom Patrol began in a comic titled My Greatest Adventure, issue number 80, in June 1963. That date, June 1963, might stand out for some people. Because later in that year, a, a different group comes along that we, we know much more about. But we'll, we'll bring them in in a second. But in June 1963, in issue 80 of My Greatest Adventure, the Doom Patrol premieres. Uh, it's a, a team unlike others at the time. It is composed of misfits, heroes that have physical abnormalities or things that set them apart from other people. And that's their sort of heroes, but heroes that are alienated uh, from society. And this was considered, you know, they were the strange group of heroes.
0: I'm familiar with the characters from the newer run. Were any of them from this run?
1: I, I will, I'll discuss okay. when we introduce the characters, which ones are from the original. Awesome. Uh, I will say that it included these physically, you know, uh, distinct and in some ways disadvantaged characters, being led by a brainy leader in a wheelchair. And if that sounds like it might be ripping off the X-Men, there's reason to think that. Actually, it is the reverse by most tellings of the story, because X-Men premieres in September of 1963. For many, many years, well, I guess we can say decades now, the author of Doom Patrol argued that actually spies within the DC Comics office had leaked to the Marvel office about this comic book coming out called Doom Patrol and that it served as the inspiration for Stan Lee to create the X-Men. But Hmm. X-Men actually comes out after Doom Patrol does um, and also has this story of uh, misfits, in this case mutants, who stand apart from parts of society, are excluded by society to some degree, and led by a brainy leader in a wheelchair. The accusation is that the X-Men stole the idea from Doom Patrol, not the reverse.
0: Yeah, I could see that. So the, the original Doom Patrol, how long did that run for?
1: I didn't write down. I don't. It, it ran for uh, several years. I don't remember exactly how long. It is uh, notable that uh, it, it spun off into its own comic called Doom Patrol after a little mm-hmm. while in My Greatest Adventure, but it didn't last for much longer after it spun out into its own comic. A few years after it spun out, it was canceled due to a lack of sales, um, and in fact, is famous because in the last issue, they just kill off the Doom Patrol. Cool. It's almost as if the writer was saying, well, if you're not going to buy this comic, then I'm just going to kill off your heroes. Ha ha ha. I I think the issue actually has like the the, the cover has the graves of the various characters, almost as if it's scolding the audience for allowing these characters to die. Uh, This will be a pattern in Doom Patrol over the decades. Characters in the Doom Patrol have a pretty high fatality rate. And the notion of recreating the team after the destruction of the previous team is a common theme throughout decades and decades of Doom Patrol comics.
0: So if they killed off all the characters from the original, how do they come back with the new run that started up in the late 80s? Because comic books. Okay, fair enough. Uh,
1: There's different answers to that for different characters, but... You know, this it's a pretty common trope. And it, it wasn't as common in the '60s through the '80s, but the notion that you that the deaths you see were not as they seem, and those characters can come back was was not new with mm-hmm. Morrison's run in 1989. But it, it, it's useful at this point to kind of fast forward to 1989. They had relaunched Doom Patrol as its own comic book earlier, like a couple of years before Morrison took took over. Uh, in the intervening period, they had an, a whole new team that was put together mostly with new characters. That book wasn't selling great. They decided they were going to give it over to Grant Morrison, and who at that point was famous because of his work on Arkham Asylum and Animal Man. I believe both of those were part of the motivation for DC giving him that, uh, control of Doom Patrol. And he coordinated with the previous writer to basically kill off or kind of write out most of the earlier team and leave him space to recreate the team and recreate the team very similar to the original team. So his the characters he's writing include uh, Robot Man, uh, who is, as you can probably tell from the name, one of the classic 1960s characters. This is Cliff Steele, who after a car accident, uh, I think it's a race car driver.
0: That's what I got from the first page of the comic, yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, had his brain transplanted into a robot body. Uh, you can tell how that, that makes it very easy to say, oh, he didn't really die. His brain was saved because he can always be transplanted into a new body. Mm-hmm. The second major character in this arc is Larry Trainer, the Negative Man. Uh, negative Man was uh, – his superpower was in some sense being possessed by a mysterious energy character, which again makes it easy for him to be killed off and yet resurrected later because that negative energy could mysteriously make him quite resistant to death.
0: Um, was it, Negative Man one of the original members?
1: Yeah, I believe he was one of the original team members. Okay, um, though in this arc and moving forward, he is transformed because the negative man that we you know knew from previous issues of Doom Patrol, Larry Trainer, uh, very early on is. Combined with one of his doctors, a negative man becomes a composite person. And in fact, it's complicated by being a a composite person of two different people of different races and different genders and takes on the name rebus, which is a reference to an alchemical creation combining multiple components in a novel form. So it is the a character from previous iterations of, of Doom Patrol, but fairly radically changed. Yeah, the there, le- there
0: were some interesting scenes with Rebus after, you know, she is talking to her husband. Yes. Or fiance, that's what it was.
1: Yes. And uh, I, I'll, I'll back up just a little bit. I think each of these characters helps emphasize comp- different components of the surreal nature of the story and might help, you know, help reveal how one writes surreal stories. So mm-hmm. if Cliff Steele as Robot Man is a human brain in a robot body, it helps Morrison tackle questions about the relationship between mind and body. So he's the character that really gets into questioning our simple, simplistic assumptions of how our mind relates to our body. Negative Man, or Rebus, very quickly in this arc, be- draws into question issues of race and gender, because Rebus is a character who is not a single gender, gender. It, is, it is not a single race, and thus raises questions of how other people relate to him, her, as a, an intersexed and interracial character. Mm-hmm. And so it, 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 again, draws into question simplistic notions of race and gender. The third character that that uh, that's prominent in this particular arc, that's a holdover from previous uh, Doom Patrol iterations, is Niles Calder, the chief. This is the the brainy leader who's in the wheelchair back in the '60s. Um, uh, he's Professor back again. X. Yeah, uh, not exactly pre Professor X.
0: Yeah.
1: So pre Professor X, I guess. Um, he's just known as the chief. I, I struggle a little bit to figure out how he represents sur- surre- surrealism in this particular series. But maybe he draws into question notions of what is genius and the role of science and its, its supposed objectivity. Because it's not clear at times whether the chief is brilliant or insane or both.
0: Uh, I was getting the vibe off him that he's more of a mad scientist than anything else.
1: Yeah. And that becomes very important later in this run.
0: <laughs> well, then.
1: <laughs> but I don't want to get too far ahead. The fourth major character is new to this series and new to the Doom Patrol, and that's Kay Chalice, known as Crazy Jane. Crazy Jane is a character who, due to childhood trauma, her personality has fragmented into dozens and dozens of personalities, each of which has a different superpower. Mm -hmm. So that's how she's a uh, member of a superpower team. This is interesting for Morrison in that he can then use her character to raise questions of what uh, about the self. What does it mean to say that we have a self and that that self is unified as opposed to all of us really being composed of a whole bunch of selves and a whole bunch of identities. So she's a, a, a way to investigate those sorts of questions in a surreal context in, this, in, in a, a superhero comic book.
0: Mm-hmm. So where do we go from here? We talk about... The surrealism that the Doom Patrol brings in?
1: Yeah, I think we, we can talk about um, how this ties into surrealism. I've done that a, a, a little bit, talking about how the, the, the sort of questions that each of these characters raise. But it, it, one theme of surrealism I think this emphasizes, emphasizes well is that meaning is more important than fact. That is, uh, each of these characters stands for something, and mm-hmm. those elements of their character are exaggerated. exaggerated quite a bit. So it's questions of mind and body are raised by a person who's literally doesn't have their own body. They are a brain in a vat in a, in a robot body. So that meaning associated with that question is really central to, to this much more than just mere questions of fact or plausibility, or even sort of the narrative itself. And we see that the importance of meaning and the representation of meaning in all of the arcs throughout the Doom Patrol. Mm Mm-hmm. In uh, Invisible Sun, this uh, I'm hoping will be inspiring in part because I think that that's some of what we see in the art that is inspired Invisible Sun, that the figures in the art are represent some, some notion. And these notions and, and what they represent are in some sense much more important than plausibility or realism or things like that. That each component is supposed to mean something and that meaning is what gives the, the image gravity as opposed to realism.
0: So how would you take something from doom patrol and like drop that into your invisible sun setting? Like how would you take robot man and make him an NPC that characters could interact with?
1: Well, robot man could, could easily be a, any sort of automaton. And then you could, that could lead to questions about the moral status of such an automaton or whether one could ever say that the automaton is independent and has its own agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, another example to to talk a little bit about the the actual storylines in this first volume of Doom Patrol uh, that illustrate also this kind of notion of, of surreal meaning is the first antagonists of the trade paperback are a group called the Scissor Men. They cut people out of reality. So well, when they attack somebody, it's as if they've been Scissored and cut out of reality. There's a hole where that person used to be. Mm-hmm. This is particularly strange for a comic book where we're reading it in a physical medium, and that absence looks we see that absence as a page. And so scissors actually make sense if you're cutting someone out of a page. But if you're cutting someone out of a three-dimensional realistic space, Scissors don't make sense anymore. So in some sense, this, pro- this antagonist only makes sense in a comic book or in a book. The characters, that is the Doom Patrol, doesn't really get that impression. And so the meaning of that action of cutting someone out is actually directly communicating with the reader and not yeah. mediated through the, uh, the characters, which I think is, is interesting. And it's also pretty common in surrealism.
0: So would you be able to take something like the Scissormen and use them in Invisible Sun? Or are you saying that because of the medium of the comic book that they function better there than they would in this game that we're playing in our minds?
1: I think you would need to adapt them in order to, to maximize their usefulness within the within an RPG. That you could use the Scissormen more or less straight up and it would still be mm-hmm. interesting. But you would need to describe it well to get the full effect that you have basically removed someone from a two-dimensional space so that where they were is missing now. That, there's, that where they were is nothingness. It's not the absence of the person like they teleported somewhere else. There is actually a missing space as if that whole space has been removed. And sure. you could represent that in three dimensions as well as instead of two. But you'd have to change somewhat how you describe it the notion though of someone being removed from our reality seems to fit well with what you know the sorts of stories you could tell in invisible sun you might remove someone from a particular sun shunting them into another sun mm-hmm. or you might remove them entirely from the path of suns
0: i guess that would be very interesting to see if we could do it
1: <laughs> yeah, we'll have to know a lot more about the mechanics of the Path of Suns to know how that would work or if it's if it's plausible. But it, I mean, it does seem like the sort of surreal storytelling that that they're getting at with uh, their story seeds.
0: Yeah, and and you can certainly do it as a as a GM. Like, sure, we can definitely do that and make it happen because you know if it sounds cool, do it. But yeah, there are there are other implications to like traveling the Path of the Suns and where you can end up. That I was just pondering in this sort of situation.
1: Yeah. So it it opens up questions and opportunities, which is the the whole goal of these inspiration segments, which Mm -hmm. is probably a good sign that we have put a cap on this particular discussion that we've given you some, some ideas to think about and hopefully motivated you to go check out the first volume of Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol. It's, I should say, the subtitle is Crawling from the Wreckage. And you might find in it some ways of telling stories that are consistent with the unique aspects of Invisible Sun as a surreal RPG. This ends our walk. Maybe you discovered something today. Maybe you need to look closer. The music was titled Beyond from Wes Otis and Plate Mail Games. It is available from RPG. You should check out Wes is currently running Kickstarter campaign for Rotheon, a Dungeon World setting and new fantasy-themed audio tracks. Check the show notes for a link. Invisible Sun is the intellectual property of Monty Cook Games. You can find a link to their website in the show notes. You can find our blog at incantationspodcast.blogspot.com and reach us at incantationspodcast at gmail.com. You can also find me at At DR Scott Robinson on Twitter.
0: And you can find me at Tex underscore red on Twitter.